The Lord be with you. Welcome to Thin Places, the podcast channel of St. Aidan's Anglican Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I'm Father Lee, the pastor here at St. Aidan's, and I want to invite you to join me here each week as we join together to share common prayer, common worship, and common life. And just as the streams feed the trees on their banks till they pour in the seas, so may my life be to all those who share this wilderness road. A reading from the Epistle of St. James in the second chapter. My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please, while to the one who is poor you say, stand there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For the one who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but if you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without mercy for anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our strength and you are our redeemer. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I invite you to be seated. So, I grew up in Arizona. Um, I lived for a number of years in Florida uh, when I was very young, but I grew up in Arizona. And not just in Arizona, but I grew up in Phoenix. And... I don't know if you know this, but Phoenix 
is very hot. <laughs> and, and sometimes I say this to people who haven't been to Phoenix or certainly haven't been to Phoenix during the summer, that I know that you think that you know that Phoenix is hot, but you don't understand what I mean when I say that Phoenix is hot. See, when you look at the top 100 cities in the U.S., most of the top 100 cities have daytime temperatures that get above 90 degrees for 40 or 50 days of the year. Those are, those are mainly cities that are along the, uh, the Mississippi River and the, and the large cities that are in Texas. But there are two cities that sort of jump out at the top of that list of hot cities. One is Las Vegas, Nevada, and the other is Phoenix, Arizona. Las Vegas is also very hot. They have something like 80 days during the year that are over 90 degrees. And then they have an additional 10 to 20 days that are over 100 degrees. In Phoenix, the number of days during the year, the average number of days over 90 degrees is 80. And the average number of days over 100 degrees is 76. What that means is that for at least one third of the year, the temperature in, in the daytime is always at least 90 degrees or more. There was one time when I was in college, I was out with some friends, I was on my way home and it was two o'clock in the morning. And as I was driving home, there was a, a thermometer that was on the side of the road. And at two o'clock in the morning, it still registered 100 degrees. Two o'clock in the morning, it was still 100 degrees outside. Because the temperature, of course, that's being measured is the temperature in the shade. So if it's the summertime and it's 114 degrees outside, that's the temperature in the shade. But Phoenix grows and grows and grows. But unlike cities, you know, like around here, the cities typically grow up. But Phoenix doesn't do that. It just grows out and it continues to sprawl everywhere in every direction. And so all that you have in that city is a sea of glass and concrete and asphalt. And all of those things take all of that summer heat and they reflect it right at your face. <laughs> when I was in college, I worked a, a job for, uh, for a number of years as a security guard. And one of the primary places that I was posted was a, um, was a, a school, a professional technical school. And my job was to walk around the parking lot and make sure that nobody broke into cars. But at this school, most of their classes were done during the day. They had some evening classes, but most of the classes were daytime classes. And so I spent the summer in a parking lot, an asphalt parking lot, walking around in, in the summer sunshine, just, just wondering, is it ever going to cool off? And it doesn't. It's so hot sometimes that it hurts to inhale. You have to, you know, tuck your head down and take in short breaths through your nose because the air is so hot and so dry that it hurts your throat to inhale sharply. And it never cools off. And I say that because there's a line in our Old Testament lesson today that we typically would just skip past because we don't we don't live in the same context as the people in Scripture do. And so when Isaiah is writing to the people and he says this to them, that they need, that they, that they need to sing for joy because waters are going to break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert and the burning sands will become a pool and the thirsty ground will become springs of water. When I moved to Arizona, or when I moved to Kentucky, I was shocked because they had bridges here and the bridges went over creeks that had water in them. 
There are lots of bridges in Arizona, but they're just over places where water flows if there's rain up in the mountains at some point. There's no water down in underneath the bridges. Was, Look at this. These bridges have water underneath them. So I want you to hear those words from somebody who lives in a desert, what it means for God to say, I want my people to be filled with joy. Filled with joy because what I'm about to accomplish is your relief. What I'm about to accomplish is your hopes coming true. The thirsty ground is going to become a pool of water and the sands will be cool under your feet. The desert is going to be transformed and the wilderness will full of life. The wilderness is going to be filled over with life. Can you imagine hearing those words and feeling that deep sigh of relief in your spirit? This longing for a break, this longing for relief. And maybe we don't know what that means to be longing for relief from oppressive temperatures. That could be. But I think that all of us here today know what it means to long for relief from something. Maybe you know what it's like to long for relief from the economic situation that you're in. Maybe it's, maybe it's joblessness or maybe it's poverty for some other reason. And the idea, the thought that God is going to take that weight off of your shoulders. It almost feels like you can breathe again. Like breathing doesn't hurt anymore. Right? Or maybe it's anxiety and fear over the violence in the world around us, over diseases in the world around us, and the idea that that could be taken away. It's like a weight lifts off of your shoulders. What if the word to you today from Isaiah was, God is going to take away the thing that you are afraid of. God is going to take away the thing that oppresses you. God is going to take away the thing that makes it so that you can't breathe. God is going to take it away. You imagine the relief and the joy that springs up in your hearts at this word that God has created a place where his people can draw near to the throne, can come to him, and they can have all of those heavy weights taken away from them. Now, I want you to imagine what it's like to have that promise in your heart and then to come into a sanctuary, to come into a community of faith and have them say, no, not here. That's what James is trying to get across to us today. The image that he uses is the way that the poor are being treated in his community. Because in his world, as is still the case in many places around the world, they had classes of people. And for people who were poor, for people who were slaves, for people who stood at the margins of society, there wasn't good news for you, ever. It didn't happen. Because you were less than human. People who owned land, who owned property, those were people. You were just one of the poor. 
And then along comes a preacher. Maybe it's Paul, or maybe it's one of Paul's disciples. Or maybe you're in Jerusalem, and you hear the word from one of the disciples, these people who knew the rabbi Jesus, who knew this person that they call king, this person that they call Christ, this person that they say is God who has come to his people and has promised to set them free. And in this place, in this community, when you come together to worship, All of those divisions draw away because God looks at you and says, you belong to me and we belong to each other. But then you show up in that place and that's not the experience that you have. It's not unique to James. Paul is dealing with exactly the same issue when he wrote the letter to the church in Corinth. He's dealing with exactly the same issue when he writes to the church in Galatia. This is a problem then and it's a problem for us now. That when people come into God's place to draw near to him, they're confronted not with the word of healing, not with the word of hope, not with the word of joy, but words of condemnation and words of guilt and words of oppression. They see that the world inside the church doesn't look any different than it does outside of the church. And James says, what are you doing? Haven't you heard the royal law? Now, James, remember, James is, is one of, one of Jesus' family. When he says the royal law, what he's saying is, don't you remember what my brother, the king, said to you? The royal law, the law that he says is the law that sets us free, the law of freedom, love each other as you want to be loved. Treat each other the way that you want to be treated. Love your neighbor as yourself. James quotes to us the words of King Jesus. He gives to us the words that Jesus spoke when he taught the royal law, this decree that we love each other the way that Christ has loved us and that we love our neighbors as ourselves. That we set aside all of those divisions that show up in our heads. We set aside all of those definitions and those categories and those labels that we use to keep people at arm's length, to keep people away from us, to say, this is the inside group and those are the outside group, and this, these, are the, these are the people that are okay and those are the people that are not. But James is saying, Paul is saying, Jesus is saying, no, that's not the gospel. It's not good news. That's just the same old news. That's the same way that it is when you go to work. And it's the same way it is when you go to school. And it's the same way it is when you go to family reunions. That's not the way that it's supposed to work in the church. That's not the church that Jesus has instituted. That's not the call of Christ on our lives and on our hearts. But the trouble, James says is that for, for a long time, and I mean for a long time, from the beginning of the church that James is writing to until now, we confuse profession with practice. We imagine that if we say the right words, or if we feel the right feelings, or if we believe the right phrases, then that's all that's required of us. And James says, no. Saying the right things doesn't make you a part of God's household. Being a part of God's household makes you a part of God's household. 
Belonging to Jesus isn't about saying the creed every single week. It's not even about believing the creed every single week. It's about doing the creed every single week. That's what faith in Christ looks like. We so often take that word faith and we think, oh, well, it just means these beliefs. It just means these ideas. And if I say that they're true, then I'm part of the in crowd. And James says no. And Paul says no. And Jesus says no. It's about you being transformed. It's about us becoming the image of Christ in the midst of a fallen world. It means you and I being the face of Jesus to each other. That's the call on our life, not to a profession, but to a practice. Acts of faith, not words of theology. Faith has to be more than just words. It has to be something that changes us, that transforms us. And James says, let me tell you what that looks like. It looks like the way that you treat the people who are on the margins. If you want to see what the gospel looks like in the lives of a church, if you want to see what the gospel looks like in your own life, then pause for a moment and consider the way that you treat the people who you consider to be other. That's going to look different for every single one of us in the room. It looks different for me than it does to Zach looks different from me than it does to Jessica. looks different from me than it does to Jenny. We all, in our own minds, have these people that are other people. Sometimes they're the same. Sometimes they're different. But the way that we treat those people reflects what we believe about the gospel. It reflects what we believe about Scripture. It reflects what we believe about Jesus. Because the only call that you and I have ever in Scripture is to be the image of Jesus Christ to the others. Whoever the others are for you. The only call that Jesus gives to his church is for us to person himself. For us to become icons of Christ to the lives of those around us and especially to the lives of those who are on the outside who are on the margin, who are in that category of others. Look what he says in verse 5 here. Listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Did God not choose the poor to be the heirs of the kingdom? But instead, he says, what happens? You give privilege and positions of power to those who are rich, to those who are influential. And he says, those are exactly the people whose lives, whose behaviors blaspheme the gospel, blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ. And he says that when we discriminate against the people who are on the margins, the people who are outside of our group, that we have ceased to love the way that Christ loves. Verse 9. Verse 8. Verse 9, he says, you no longer follow the law of Christ. Verse 13. And so you place yourselves under the judgment of God. The way that we 
treat the people in our lives who we consider to be other reveals what we believe about God and what we believe about Jesus and the way that we live out his love in the midst of the world. And that right there is why we don't like to read from James. Right? We said that last week. James is one of those books that we just, we just want to hold it at arm's length and say, uh, James, that's a little too real, all right? I know you're a saint. I know you, know, you grew up with Jesus and all, but just, just calm down, all right? You go sit over there and you, you, you talk and you know, we'll come and we'll grab a couple of you know, little picked verses out and hang out with you. But James doesn't leave that for us, does he? James says, no, that's not how this works. The gospel is good news for everyone or not good news at all. That's what James says to us. And if we in our hearts and in our lives have decided that it's good news for me and for those people who are like me, and it's not good news for those other people, then James says, then we don't have participation in the gospel. Then Christ's love is not a part of our lives. It's a hard word for us to hear. Because it's a lot easier for me to think, oh, well, if I stand up every Sunday, as soon as Lee's done preaching, I'll just stand up and say the creed and then I'm good to go. And James and Father Lee want to say, nope. It's not how it works. The creed is absolutely something that's central to our life. We proclaim that we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, and in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. We absolutely believe in God, and that belief changes us. And if it doesn't change us, it's because we don't believe. That's the word that James says to us today. That's the hard word that James has for us today. But James doesn't leave us there. He doesn't say, get on with it. Now, I've heard passages preached out of James before, and that was sort of the, that was the end goal, right? Well, all right, well, here's what you're supposed to do. Go do it. You guys know me well enough that uh, that's not how I read James. That's not how I read the gospel. Faith is about enacting the gospel because that's what God's justice is looks like. We talked about that last week, that this word justice, righteousness, is the same thing. It's not about me doing something for God. And justice and righteousness is not about something that God accomplishes on his own. It's a relationship that God is inviting us into, that enacting God's justice, God's rightness, God's goodness is something that he's inviting us into. He's saying, look at the rightness and the justice and the goodness that I enact in the world. Look at the way that I govern the world. Now join me in that work. Come alongside me in this way of life. Come and do the things that you see the master doing. To love your neighbor as yourself. Watch and see what Jesus is doing and then do the things 
that we see him doing. And when that happens, when you and I change the perspective that we have, in, 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 change it away from seeing everything around us as inside and outside and, and them and us. When we break ourselves out of that mindset, what happens is that we begin to see the world the way that Christ sees the world. And when we begin to see the world in that way, you and I become the image of the living Christ in the midst of his creation. We join him in that work of setting his people free. We become the good news that we proclaim. We become the gospel that we are sharing with each other, with our neighbors, with our co-workers, with the people who go to our schools with us. We become the image of Jesus. They look at our lives and they see the cross. They look at our lives and they see the resurrection. They look at our lives and they see the hope of a new way of being human. They see the hope of a new way of being alive together, a new kind of community, a new kind of king, a new kind of world. And it happens when you and I invite the Lord to speak his grace into our lives. What's the prayer I taught you last week? Jesus, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I can't change the way that my mind works into inside and outside groups. I can't just choose today to start seeing other people as not others. Only God's grace does that in my life. And it starts when I say, Jesus, I need you. I need you because I don't understand righteousness. I need you because I don't understand what it's like to live in integrity. I need you because I don't see peace around me. I need you because I want to belong to a community. I need you because I want to be an image of your righteousness. But I can't do it on my own. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Because on my own, I can't do this. But you can. You are. And I want to join you in that work. I want to receive who you are and become what I receive. I want to become an icon of Christ in the midst of a broken, hurting world. I want to see what it looks like when we make the good news good news again. So this week, again, my encouragement to you is to make that prayer a breath prayer. Pray it continually throughout the day. Jesus, I need you. In this moment, in this hard place, in this easy place, in this joy, in this sadness, in this anxiety, in this disappointment, Jesus, I need you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for checking out Thin Places today. If you were blessed by your time with us and want to know more, check out anchor.fm forward slash thin dash places for more homilies, devotionals, and worship from St. Aidan's Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. And make sure to follow us and leave a comment And join us again next time in common prayer, common worship, and common life.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. Father is restored.